Welcome to the Dirt Show brought to you by Pulver's Towing and today we're going to hear from four-time Indy 500 winning legend Al Unser. We're going to hear part one of his interview this weekend and tune in April 11th for part two. We're also going to hear from Bob Baker from the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum, track announcer and track photographer Todd Narvison, and we're also going to hear from our old friend Speed at Cookies Barbecue Sauces and Seasonings right after a few words from our sponsors. Pulver Motor Service is far more than towing and recovery. Pulver has the versatility and tools to move anything with wheels. Why should you invest in a truck and trailer when for a fraction of the cost, Pulver can move Move your heavy equipment to the job site and back. With our years of experience and investment in equipment, Pulver Motor Service isn't limited by size, weight, or distance. See for yourself at pulvermotorservice.com. Contact us today and find out how we can help move your business forward. Honda has found a way to make the great outdoors even greater with special offers on select 4Tracks ATVs. Our lineup of tireless 4Tracks ATVs are designed to tackle the toughest jobs and leave you with enough energy to enjoy a ride once the work is done. And now get up to $800 factory to dealer incentives on select models. Just head to Trimble Cycle Center in Austin. Now during the Greater Outdoors Sales Event and make this your best year outdoors yet. Factory to dealer incentives are good with select new and unregistered models. See dealer for complete program details. Trimble Cycle Center in Austin. Celebrating 60 years as USA's second oldest Honda dealer. So you're inviting friends over for a friendly barbecue? Nice. But if you're a true friend, you'll start with Cookie's Barbecue Sauce. I'm Speed the Sauce Man, and let me tell you why the right sauce is so important. Cookie's Barbecue Sauce is made from real deal ingredients, and I haven't changed the recipe since 1976. Cookie's Barbecue Sauce complements meat. It doesn't smother it. It just makes your food taste better. Smart cookies use cookies. Anything less is just meat abuse. Cookies is the one. We've all heard the old saying, going the extra mile. When it comes to repairing your vehicle, that old saying rings true at Midwest Collision in Faribault. You may have to drive that extra mile, but Bob and his staff at Midwest Collision will reward you with quick and educational estimates. Plus, they'll go the extra mile to make sure you are completely satisfied with your repair. Call Midwest Collision today at 332-2434. They're miles ahead of the competition. Coles Electric in Owatonna is there whether it's a small or large project with state-of-the-art technology ensuring a professional job will be done every time. Coles Electric services include new construction, design and build, lighting design and installation, remodel work, high voltage, and PLCs. Coles other services include generator sales, security systems, infrared cameras, directional boring systems, underground trenching, plowing, cable location, vacuum excavation, pulse setting, boom truck, and 24-hour on-call emergency service. That's Coles Electric in Owatonna. Licensed, bonded, insured, and offering free estimates. Napa Auto Parts has provided parts to people of this community for a long time. We're here when you need us, and you're here for us. Together, we've fought wars, braved blizzards, tackled economic crises, and whipped some nasty diseases. We're in the middle of a battle like we've never seen before, but we will persevere because we'll do it together. So stay strong and keep your head high. Napa, nationally known, locally owned, and a proud member of the local community. Steve Smile, VP Racing Fuels, and you're listening to the Driver Segment on the Dirt Show. Welcome back to the Driver Segment, and I am joined by four-time Indy 500 winner Al Unser. And Al, 
Growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, you had a major impact on my life. The Indy 500 was a huge deal at our house. Actually, at that time, any racing we could get on TV was a big deal. What are your earliest memories of being exposed to fast cars or racing? Well, really, you know, my family was in racing, and when I finally became old enough back in those days, the age limit was different than it is today. And I started in Albuquerque at like about 18, 17 years old and went from there. And each step that I took or wanted to take seemed like I succeeded on it. So it, it made it really a great career. I love racing. I still do today. Like, you know, said earlier, if I could do it over again, I'd do it all the same way. There'd be some cars and teams I wouldn't go with, but <laughs> we all have that. Unzer Mountain is what everyone knows to mean Pikes Peak. What a legacy your family has at that place. But I am sure your first few trips there weren't racing a car yourself. It was probably watching somebody else or horsing around as a kid. Well, it was my brothers, watching my brothers and helping Bobby and Louie. You know, my father built the first car for uh, the two of them, Louie and, and uh, Bobby, and uh, the Jaguar. Of course, Louie the first year finished third in the car, and then uh, Bobby took it over thereafter and won several years with it. Pikes Peak was a place that used to carry a tremendous amount of prestige of, of being at and winning. And it opened up the doors for you to be able to go elsewhere and say, I have accomplished the race at Pikes Peak, and, and a lot of people knew it. And today, it's all paved, and it, it's quite a bit of different technology today than it used to be. You began your racing career at the age of 18. Did you have to have your parents' consent? Because some states at that time you had to be 21 unless your parents consented to it. Very much so. In fact, I went to Pikes Peak and run all the practice days, which we used to be about two weeks, and did it all and the day before qualifying. They came down to the garage where we kept the cars in Manatee Springs and told my father that uh, I couldn't run because I was underage. Well, we did kind of fudge and, and try to get me uh, about three years prior to that race and said I was a year older. Well, I wasn't, so they caught me, and yes, there used to be 21, and my father had to, in Albuquerque, had to finally release me when I started racing at the local track there and, of course, at Pikes Peak and everywhere else, you know. And, and today, you know, if you're 15 years old, you can run. I have an article out of a 1962 USAC newsletter about brothers racing together. There is a photo of you and Bobby at the 1962 Colorado State Fair where you finished 1-2. You were also racing midgets against a pair of brothers at the Astrodome by the name of Bettenhausen. 
I never had a chance to interview Gary, but I had Merle on the show last year. What a great guy. Oh, very much so. The Bettenhausens were very strong competitors, and they just liked the answer. They loved racing. And uh, Gary, uh, we were teammates one year at Indianapolis. So, uh, you know, he was a very strong competitor. And to run against him, it was another team you had to outrun. And it wasn't easy. They had the talent, and they desired just like we did. So to run against drivers like that in a young age, it uh, made it very interesting how to run against them and try to beat them. <laughs> I have a great photo of you, your dad who's wearing a mobile oil shirt, and your brother Bobby at the top of Pikes Peak in 1964. What were your hopes and dreams at that time? Had you thought of even racing at the Indy 500? Well, very much so. In other words, you, uh, all other racing by that time was hopefully a car owner would look at you and give it the opportunity to go to Indianapolis. And it was a very difficult choice, you know, to be able to find the right car owner. And I was up there and, and that year in 64 and won the race that year. Then there was a driver up there who Bobby drove for, his name was Frank Arciero. And I asked Frank to be able to run his sports cars at the local California, Phoenix, everywhere, road courses. And he told me, he says, Al, I only hire winners. I do not hire losers. So when I won the race that day, I went up to him and I said, Mr. Arciero, I won the race today. Can I drive your car? <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and kind of laughed. And he says, I'll give you a call next week. So he did. And that's how I got to Indianapolis, was through Pikes Peak, through knowing Frank Arciero and asking him for a ride. And then he was my owner that year, my first year in 1965 at Indianapolis, and uh, we had a rough year. We went back there with a new car that we built, or they built, with a Maserati engine, and the Maserati engine was not strong enough to compete against the Alfies in those days, so, you know, it just was one of those deals that we kept blowing the engine trying to make it strong enough and the engine just wasn't with the program. So consequently, I was parked the last day of qualifying. And uh, I didn't have, I was out of cars and didn't know who I was going to get. And then A.J. Fort walked in and said, uh, if you're interested in running my backup car, come over to my shop. Well, when he walked out, I walked out right behind him. And he put me in his car for 10 laps and we were back in the garage, and he walked over to me, and he said, well, we're going to go out and qualify. Are you ready? Well, what are you? I couldn't even talk. I mean, I was scared to death, and here we go walking out. I don't even remember how I got out from the garage area to the pit gate out there, you know, at Indianapolis. So it's, uh, I think, you know, opened up a whole new era for me. 
Speaking of Offenhauser Motors, talk about the number five Vince Conzi Offie. Is there a better sound than an Offie engine pulling for all it's worth? No, there isn't. Vince Conzi was in the aircraft business, machining business, and he built this car, and, and it only weighed 800 pounds, fully loaded with fuel and everything, for Pike speak, you know, and, and it was a 220 off, and I used to tell him, Vince, I says, why don't you put in a 255 off the engine? He says, no, he says, it's okay the way it is, Al. He says, it's got plenty of power. Well, that thing would go up the straightaway and over 100 mile an hour, and it would just start bouncing around because it was so light. We didn't have any downforce and wings like they have today and to make the car glued to the dirt like they do today. It all was, a, you know, like you say, it was a sound all of its own, or it, a little four-cylinder off you used to strain but at the altitude up there, that's 14,000 feet, was a handful, but yet, you know, I didn't know the difference. Pike's Peak, you and your brother Bobby knew every stone, every tree, every curve. When it came to racing in the fog, you knew where the race course was, but I can still imagine it had to be pretty unnerving, even for the most confident driver, to keep your foot in the throttle. Well, that it was. But yet, you know, if you're a race car driver, you have to, you know, we knew the circumstances up there weather-wise that could go bad, you know. We probably, Bobby and myself and Jerry and Louie, my two brothers, we all were probably sometime or another had to run in fog and, and uh, snow up there, you know. Sometimes for that race, it would be at the top of Pike State and start snowing. And you just had to do it. You hoped that you didn't get caught in that, but you, that's when you had to really know where you were at at the given time on that road up there because it was dirt and very tricky and you had to had to know where you were at and give it all you had but try to outrun your competition and hope that you were able to not make any mistakes and get to the top. And I know a few years ago when I had Mario Andretti on the show, he said when he won it, that was it. He decided not to go back because he said he was pushing it for everything it was worth and if he went back, he would probably go over the edge. Oh, Mario was too good for that to happen. I mean, you know, we all probably said that in many ways uh, at different times at different racetracks. But Pikes Peak was just another track, and the year he won had Grant King build the car for up there, and I broke my leg at the speedway riding a motorcycle on the day of qualifying, first qualifying, so it knocked me out. And I gave the ride. I got Mario to drive the car for Grant King. And he ended up winning the race. And Mario was a very capable man of being able to go up there. And even though he wasn't raised up there like the others were, Mario knew where he was at. And he worked hard at it. And he made it happen. And, uh, you know, you can only say that 
he won the race and he did a terrific job. Back to your very first trip to the Indy 500 in 1965, what was that whole experience like the very first year for you as a young man? The travel across the United States, the sights, the anticipation, the whole experience had to be incredible. Well, that it was, you know. It was, I was taking something on that uh, I wasn't too sure if I was capable you know, you, you you never know about your own ability until you get it done. Well, I hadn't done it yet, and then to be able to get the opportunity to, to go back there and take a rookie test, I said, boy, I hope they at least pass me and let me take a test. And then they finally threw a lot of politics because they turned me down and told me to go home at first. And uh, through my family, Roger Ward, and a couple of people, and, and McCluskey, they went back for me, and I'd run a couple of races on the dirt for USAC, and they said, how come he was good enough to run on the dirt and he's not good enough to come here? And they finally okayed it, and, and I was in uh, Harlan Fingler's office. He was the head man at that time. And he says, you, son, you make one mistake. Because he didn't want me there. You know, he said I was inexperienced and too young. And he says, I'll send you home. Do you understand me? I says, yes, sir. <laughs> and, of course, I passed my test. And then, you know, I was, you know, once you pass your test in those days, you were able to go out and, and try to get the car up to speed. Well, we came within about three, four mile an hour of being able to do that and finally, you know, had to park the Maserati and uh, go from there. Your very first Indy 500 victory came in 1970, driving the number two Johnny Lightning car, one of the coolest cars in history, in my opinion, leading 190 of 200 laps, a dominating performance. After all these years, have you thought about how many great drivers tried and tried and never won, and you did? being with Bell and Parnelli Jones and the whole race team at that time and we had everything put in the right place and it showed that day by leading 190 laps at 200 and you know it just was a thrill to be able to you know I got the checkered flag and I said man did I really win this race because you worked so hard to try to be competitive and try to win it and try to do as good as you can. You know, whether you win it or not, you finish fifth, you want to finish fourth. You finish fourth, you want to be third. You know, you just, there's always one place that you want, and that's the number one spot. And sure enough, I was able to pull that off and the whole team, not just me, because I had a, Wonderful team. George Bignotti was my chief mechanic. And of course, Bell and Parnelli Jones, being the car owners, were just, you know, they, they, they didn't back for anything. They if it took a brand new set of tires. They just did it, you know, and 
a new engine. They they came by it some way, and they had the budget to make it be number one, and that's what was so neat. Your second victory came in 1971 in the number one Johnny Lightning car. How did that race differ from the 1970 race? Well, the 70 race, we dominated that race. In other words, the car and myself, to lead 190 laps is unbelievable. And then to come back the next year, and they built a new car. And it was the 70 car didn't hold enough fuel, and they had to put a side tank on the left side to carry enough fuel. And in those days, we carried 75 gallons of methanol. So it it really made the cars not handle as well as you would like during the run, you know, from full load to empty load. And so, consequently, the cars handled differently all day. And then in 71, we built a new car and made some changes to certain areas and then made it big enough to hold 75 gallons. And we didn't have to run a side tank over there. And just, again, with uh, we had to run hard that day. In other words, they had already caught that car and kind of passed us. Roger Penske's team, Mark Donahue. I mean, if he'd have finished, I couldn't have. I couldn't have matched the McLaren car that year. But you first have to finish. There to finish first. So there we were, and we ran hard all day. And that was a much harder race in '71 than in '70. Let me tell you, friends, about our stores. A great place we call Miners Outdoors. Miners Outdoor, your total source Husqvarna dealer in Blooming Prairie, has everything your yard needs. From chainsaws, leaf blowers, and weed trimmers to zero-turn mowers and everything in between. That's what being your Husqvarna total source dealer is all about. Stop in today to see the best selection in quality Husqvarna outdoor power equipment. That's Miners Outdoor, Highway 218, Blooming Prairie. Miners Outdoor, Major Tough. If you're in need of a worry-free power lift door, then you'll want to stop and talk with Rod French. Make a statement with a PowerLift architectural door on your home or cabin. PowerLift doors can be retrofitted to fit an existing door opening or designed into your next commercial, agricultural, livestock, or aircraft hangar build. Stylish, functional, and built to last. PowerLift doors by French's Manufacturing are made locally in Dodge Center, Minnesota by their experienced craftsmen. Contact Kelly or Rod. PowerLift doors by French's Manufacturing. 374-9306. Hey everyone, this is Chad Weir's Weir's Machine and Racing Products with today's Tech Tip Tuesday. Today we're going to talk about our engine and rear end lift handles. These are a real nice piece we've been making for quite a few years. One end has a 3 8 coarse thread stud and the other one is drilled and tapped 5 8 coarse thread. So you can thread four of these into your engine and you and three of your homeboys can carry an engine around or you put two on each side of the rear end and then you and another guy can carry a rear end around very easily. Real nice trick tool. As always, check us out online at weirsmachine.com or give us a call at 877-460-7211. Thank you. Now is the perfect time to schedule that spring chemical application, lawn aeration, or landscape project. Wolf & Sons Yard Service also provides spring yard waste cleanup. Contact Wolf & Sons today at 455-3524. 
Aero Race Wheels was established on the conviction that its dedicated staff could provide higher quality wheels designed specifically to endure the tough requirements and conditions of the racing industry. Most importantly, the wheels need to be manufactured and sold, maintaining an affordable price structure. Aero Racing Wheels has become the largest premier steel wheel supplier, and their product line speaks for itself. Upgrade your racing game today at aeroracewheels.com. Why would you use anything but the latest technology and packing products when it comes to shipping your business products? Foamcraft Packaging in Owatonna provides a complete line of packaging materials, including foam products, pallets, crates, corrugated boxes, and much, much more. See all our different packaging options at foamcraftpackaging.com or call 455-2893. That's 455-2893. Welcome back to the sponsor segment here on The Dirt Show, and I am joined by Bob Baker, the Executive Director of the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum in Knoxville. And Bob, let's start off talking about the topic of that is affecting many of our Dirt Show listeners right now. Working from home or being stuck at home right now because of the virus. Many of us are wanting to get our hands on anything to do with racing, and you have an entire museum store full of DVDs, books, posters, and great stuff to help race fans get through this time period. You're right. We do have a great assortment of books, DVDs, and other items in our museum store, and people can find these. They don't have to drive to Knoxville, Iowa. They can find these online right now and anytime at SprintCarStuff.com. is our online store. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and people can browse through all the books, DVDs, and all the merchandise that's on there and find something, whether it's a book or a movie on a DVD or something they're interested in in our store to keep them company and help fill this time, you know, while they're kind of waiting this virus thing out at home until the race season starts. So that is one thing that we have been really talking about on social media is that the books that we feature, the new books that have just come in, and some of the different items as far as DVDs and things that we have in the store. And I know when fans are down there, they get to sample some of the DVDs that you have in the bookstore up in your theater and those are amazing i can't imagine sitting back on the couch with your bowl of popcorn and watching one of those dvds i tell you we have a lot of fun because we have the movie theater up on our second floor it's a small theater it seats 42 people but when we get one of the new dvds or movies in we can always go up there and put it on and check it out so that when people come into the store and they ask us well is this a good one or is this one kind of boring or what's it about and we kind of have an idea what the different movies and films are about because some of them are older movies and some of them are new movies recreated or reenact you know past races or things from the past just stories and others are full-fledged movies and lots of them are just pure racing whether it's from pennsylvania or last year's highlights across the country we just have a wide variety of dvds and books we usually get about a book or two new books every month in here at the museum so we get quite a variety of books that people come in and take a look at and take home and read and put in their collection. So we're very fortunate to have some things that people can purchase while they're at home from home, get them delivered in the mail, and then read them, you know, while they've got some time on their hands. This year's raffle sprint car, a purple 4X, that car is beautiful. Well, thank you. You know, Speedway Motors very generously offered to 
help put the car and the 410 engine together for us this year. We're on car number 13, so this was going to be car number 13, but we're all a little superstitious here at the museum and at Speedway Motors, so we decided let's do kind of a retro thing because Jan Opperman and Doug Wolfgang drove the 4X for Speedway Motors, so we put the purple and yellow Speedway Motors colors on the car and the 4X, you know, to commemorate Jan Opperman and Doug Wolfgang driving the Speedway Motors 4X back in the day. And it really has turned out to be probably, I would venture to say, one of the sharpest-looking raffle sprint cars that we've had. Of the 13 cars we've had, I'd say already we've had more comments on how people like the paint and the paint scheme and the design on this race car. The 410 engine was built right there at Speedway Racing Engines in Lincoln, Nebraska. EMI Chassis Company, which is owned by Speedway Motors, not only put the car together and donated it for us, but they also did a video that's online on our website at SprintCarHOF.com, or you can go to SprintCarRaffle.net and look at the car. And also there's videos of when the car was being put together. So it's an instructional video on different methods to put a Sprint car together. Because as we all know, everybody has preferences and how they assemble their race cars based on their own likes or needs. So this is a pretty good video. It shows you the options of putting some of the different pieces and parts and components on the race car and how that can be done and the difference it makes, you know, when you're racing the car or if you have to change out parts on the car, whether it be seat in the car, shock absorbers, things like that. It's a very good instructional video, and we've got that up on our website, also on the Speedway Motors website. So two or three places you can find that online. It's a, a great tool, and I think Speedway Motors and our museum are going to continue to use that tool to help people construct cars. A lot of people get into sprint car racing for the first time, and this is a really good base type of video to show people how to assemble the chassis parts on the cars, and it, it really is helpful. You can go to SprintCarRaffle.net and purchase a Sprint Car Raffle ticket. The tickets are $20 each or 6 for $100, and we'll do the drawing this year in December. We have to do the raffle here inside our museum or in, in the state of Iowa because we have an Iowa gaming license. So by law, we have to do the drawing in the state of Iowa. We've been asked, why don't you do that drawing at the Chili Bowl, or why don't you do it during the Nationals or another time? Well, we do have to do it here in Iowa, so traditionally we do it inside the museum, and we find someone to stick their arm inside the big barrel and pull out the winner's name, and we make a call right there and let them know that they've won the raffle sprint car, and it's theirs to come pick up here in Knoxville whenever they've got the trailer ready to go. <laughs> you also have a Corvette Z06 up for raffle again this year. We do. You know, we did a Z06 last year, and this year we've got a Z51. We've got the 2020 Z51 Corvette. That's the new mid-engine Corvette, and we're selling tickets for that online at winaz 51 corvette.com you can go right online to purchase those sweepstakes tickets and those start at 25 dollars for three tickets and the drawing for the corvette is going to be saturday night during the knoxville nationals and that will be saturday august 15th at approximately 10 o'clock that night before the a feature we'll do the drawing will be one lucky winner for the corvette tell you just a little bit about the man that won the z06 last year he was from indiana and he's a huge race fan he attends the races at eldora and also here in knoxville we tried and tried and tried to get a hold of him when he won the car saturday night and we're not able to he was out for the night doing something 
and the next morning about 10 o'clock he called me and he said hey my friends are all telling me I won this Corvette is that true and I said what's your name and he told me and I said yeah where do you live he said yeah and I said yep we pulled your name out of the barrel actually it's generated it's an online sweepstakes so the computer generates the number and we have to look it up to see whose number it is and who purchased it so he was real excited he came here with his uh, wife and his dad and let me tell you they came in and raced shirts I think they had for memory they had Kyle Larson race t-shirts on and his dad and him climbed in the Corvette and drove it out of the museum. They drove it right through the museum, revving the engine on the Corvette as they drove out. It's just been a lot of fun to see him get that car, and we're very happy for him, and we're very excited about the Z51, the Minigen Corvette. It's going to be a torch red Corvette, and the donations, all the money goes to help keep us the museum in operation, so it's for a great cause. The museum is also a great place when you're at Knoxville for the races. There is always something going on, and you might run into some special guests. You know, you're exactly right, Clay. You never know who's going to be walking through our museum at any given time. It's not unusual to see a lot of the drivers that race in Knoxville and the drivers that have race cars that race in Knoxville and the different teams, you know, whether it be car owners, mechanics, crew chiefs, pit crew members, drivers, family, walking through the museum on a Saturday afternoon. And everybody's in a great mood, you know, because it's race night. So everybody's congenial and willing to take pictures and sign autographs with the fans. And it's a lot of fun. I always remember, you know, seeing people come in and they're just shocked to see like Kenny Schrader or Tony Stewart or some of the people that are roaming through the museum taking a look at the displays and the exhibits. And the drivers that come in, they're very friendly with the fans, you know. They'll talk with them for a while and, like I said, take pictures and do autographs and stuff. So it's a fun time. It's a real relaxing time before the races start on Saturday nights. And race fans can also purchase tickets to watch the races with us here in the museum on our second floor, which is nice. It's all enclosed. It's air-conditioned during the summer months, so it's nice and cool, and you can bring your own food and drinks in with you. We have those tickets on a nightly basis. You can just come here to the museum and purchase them on a Saturday afternoon, and you're all set for Saturday night sprint car racing in Knoxville. Bob, are you able to reveal the featured driver for this year in the museum? Yes, we're doing a salute to champion Greg Hodnett. We've got eight of Greg Hodnett's race cars that will be on their way to Knoxville starting next week. And the exhibit actually starts on May the 1st, and it runs through Thursday, October 1st. Five months to come in and see Greg Hodnett's race cars and learn more about Greg Hodnett himself. He graduated from college as a mechanical engineer, so he had a lot of things in sprint car racing that he brought to the table besides being a good race car driver. He was very meticulous in his note-taking of his racing and the components, pieces, and parts on the race car and how they worked and interacted with each other. The notes he took on every night he raced are phenomenal. We'll have some of those books on display for people to look at the things he recorded for every night he raced. But also, you know, he helped develop the Swindell Bleeders a little bit that Jeff Swindell has come out with and markets now. He's involved in the very beginning of development of those, and it's really interesting to learn about the different things that Greg Hodnett put into the components on a sprint car that everybody just kind of takes for granted now. So we're going to learn a little bit about not just Greg Hodnett's racing history, but his history in the shop working on the race car and the different components he helped to develop throughout his lifetime. So it's going to be a great exhibit. Again, we open on May 1st with that in the museum, eight of Greg's cars, and I think there's over 70 pieces of memorabilia that we've counted and artifacts so far that we'll have on display along with the videos and the race cars. This will be our last salute to champions that we're going to do. It's the last time we're going to do a salute to a driver. We've got a new path we're going to start on in 2021. So we'll be doing something different exhibit-wise in the museum. But we've really had a great time with our salute to champion exhibits. You know, we started with Tony Stewart 10 years ago. Of course, we did Jeff Gordon and Steve Kinsler 
Doug Wolfgang and Sammy Swindell and Brian Clausen. It's been a great exhibit, Ren, but it's time to work on a new exhibit. We've got a great idea in mind for 2021 and the next 10 years. So we're excited to start on a new path next year and really excited for this year to end with such a great person as Greg Hodnett was. How can fans find out more about the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum? They can go online to Sprint Car HOF. That's short for Hall of Fame, SprintCarHOF.com. And on our website, they can navigate on there. They can learn all sorts of stuff about our museum, everything from how we go about inducting people into the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame to the people who have been inducted in the past and all the stories, their induction stories are listed on there. Also, our poll award recipients from the past are all listed on there. All the latest news, what's going on. One thing we didn't talk about is our Priority Aviation $20,000 Knoxville National Sponsorship. All the information for that for drivers to win the $20,000 is on there. We keep it updated every day with press releases. So there's always something fresh on the website. And if you're looking for the books and the DVDs we talked about earlier in the program, those are on our SprintCarStuff.com website. Everything that's in our store is listed on that site. We've got most of our new merchandise in for the season in the store. So we're pretty excited about that. But SprintCarStuff.com is our online store. Bob, as always, thanks for being with us, and I look forward to talking to you throughout the season. Thank you for having us on the show, Clay, and we're looking forward to a great season once we get everything underway. Gilland Enterprises is your local distributor of Justice Brothers products. Justice Brothers products reduce breakage, downtime, and increase machinery reliability, life, and performance, which increases your profits. Superior lubricants like JB80 and JB Heavy Duty Chain Lubricants are made for today's farm equipment. This family-owned America's brand for quality products has provided additives, lubricants, and cleaner to auto enthusiasts, racers, truckers, industries, and farmers for more than 80 years. Contact Gilland Enterprises. Prizes, your local Justice Brothers Car Care Products distributor at 952-934-7354 or visit justicebrothers.com. Go with the winner, Gilland Enterprises and Justice Brothers. Rhino Egg is now raising the bar even more by being the only manufacturer of rotary cutters in the world to factory fill all components with Lucas Oil and Grease, adding even more value to the Rhino brand over the competition. Quality from the inside out. Visit rhinoag.com to find a dealer near you. For over 40 years, winning drivers have relied on VP Racing Fuels to optimize performance. Now get the same benefit with VP Pro-Grade Full Synthetic Oil and High Performance Lubricants. VP's goal was to develop a best-in-class racing oil that offers world-class cutting-edge technology, enhanced durability and wear protection from the street to the track. VP's got you covered with the next generation performance. Extreme Powder Coating is your go-to to refurbish all your summer gear. From patio sets and trailers to farm equipment, Extreme can handle the smallest projects to the largest. Sandblasting on-site and powder-coat epoxy primers create the perfect base for any of their 100 top coat colors. Not only is powder coating environmentally friendly, it's the most durable finish on the market. Extreme Powder Coating looks like paint, acts like armor. Fast Shafts has been producing drive shafts for late models, modifieds, dirt trucks, stock cars, and hobby stocks since 1992. Fast Shafts, the official drive shaft for the U.S. MTS and USRA, and title sponsors for the IMCA Fast Shafts All Star Race and IMCA Super Nationals, support the sport of circle track racing throughout the USA. To get the power from your motor to the tires, run with a proven winner today with the number one choice in car. 
carbon fiber, steel, chrome molly, and aluminum drive shafts. Call Fast Shafts today. Made by racers for racers. 800-622-6617. Race fans, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum is open seven days a week, year-round. But you don't have to drive to Knoxville, Iowa to shop in our museum store, which features the world's largest selection of Sprint Car merchandise. Visit us online at SprintCarStuff.com for a great assortment of books, including Bill Haglund's newest book, Two Lane Roads and County Fairs, or The History of Knoxville Raceway and the Marion County Fairgrounds by Bob Wilson, or Nebraska Dirt by Bob Mays. You'll find all of these books and many more at SprintCarStuff.com, along with a great variety of racing DVDs and more Sprint Car merchandise than you could ever imagine, all at SprintCarStuff.com. So the next time you're in Knoxville, stop by the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum, and the next time you're at home or away from home, visit us online at SprintCarStuff.com. Welcome back to a special segment here on The Dirt Show, and I am joined by Todd Narvison. And Todd, many of the fans know you as the voice of Deer Creek Speedway, but many fans do not know of Todd, the race photographer. My interest in that topic was piqued when we were invited down to Marty and Nancy Pringle's home last winter to help identify thousands of photos that they have for the Iowa Hall of Fame and Museum. And we found a particular picture that created a big stir. A very young Scott Bloomquist sitting against a 55-gallon drum garbage can at the Gopher 50 in Oatana. And there you are in all your glory with your camera around your neck taking in the driver's meeting. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. It's pretty comical looking at that now so many years ago and looking at Scott and how everybody's changed. But I uh, took pictures for probably about 15, 16 years around here. So, yeah, we did her, did her for quite a while until we kind of got into the announcing thing and kind of got away from doing that. When did you get the idea to start taking your camera to the track? And where were those first tracks where you started shooting photos? You know, everybody was a kid, you know, you had the old Instamatic camera, your mom and dad, you know, and you go in the pits and take pictures when you were young. Some of them turned out, some of them didn't. And my folks got me a camera for my graduation way back in 1982. I'm kind of dating myself there, but I you know, just kind of got it figured out and started taking pictures at places like Casson and Rochester and St. Charles a little bit and some of those places. And then kind of ventured away from here. I kind of got into uh, Hawkeye Racing News was selling that. We'd go to Cedar Lake and Menominee and Fountain City and some of those places and just started taking photos and mostly for fun we did sell a few but mostly for fun just for the rush of standing next to the racetrack i guess and watching the cars go by you you talk about the rush i see those pictures of the photographers standing up next to the guardrail at syracuse or springfield and those cars are just flying by have you had any close calls because i know when you're holding that camera up focusing on something things can happen one that sticks out. I thought about it the other day and I ran into some pictures that I took of the event where it happened of Punky Manor Challenge of Champions in Menominee, Wisconsin in 1986. 
They'd had a lot of rain that week, and there was a big, huge mud berm on the inside of the racetrack, probably a foot and a half tall, and taking some pictures of some late models. And I'd just taken a picture of a car going to the corner, and I just pulled my camera away, and there was three cars coming at me. They were coming at me a pretty good clip, and they hit that mud berm there and stopped them right on the spot, but I was covered with mud, and we kind of got lucky with that one. The other thing that I remember, too, is the Gopher 50 at Oatana. Not really a close call, but just a memory of being close to the racetrack and the rush. When the year Freddie Smith got disqualified, we were in turn three. He was way out in front, and you could just hear the motor just full song down the back straightaway coming at you in turn three. You know, and you're up on the old dirt mounds at Oatana. So you're a couple feet up off the racetrack, and they'd fly by you, you know, 10 feet away from here or whatever. It's just a pretty incredible adrenaline rush being that close to the racetrack. They really flew down the backstretch at Oatana, and I always remember Mark Noble seemed to drive it in just a little further into three and make a lot of passes right there. Yeah, Oatana was a fun place to take pictures. It was fairly safe. You know, like I said, they had the big dirt mounds on the infield, so it kind of maybe gave you a little false sense of security. We got chased off of them a couple of times, but uh, yeah, Oatana was definitely a fun place to shoot at. Talk about St. Charles. When were you shooting pictures at that track? And I'm sure it didn't even cross your mind when you were shooting those photos that you were actually preserving memories for fans and drivers now that that track is gone. Yeah, St. Charles was probably early 90s. We took some photos over there. Um, I started announcing in 95, and that was actually the track that I started announcing at. But you don't really think about that when you're doing it. Now we've got some pictures that are, you know, 25, 30, you know, some of them going on 40 years old, and you look back at them now, and you're, like, looking at them and recalling all the memories they have of those racetracks and stuff. And like you said, a lot of the places aren't there anymore. I mean, you got St. Charles and Owatonna now and Rochester and some of those places. So it just kind of makes you glad that you were there and able to document some of that. Speaking of Rochester, the Olmstead County Fairgrounds, there were some epic races there. Even if you just consider the local guys right from Rochester, there was a lot of talent in that town. Yeah, there was. I mean, Rochester used to be kind of the hub of racing back then. I mean, you had so many good drivers from this area. You know, you hate to start naming them off because you'd miss some, but, you know, you guys like Mert Williams and Richie Olson and Wendell Keene, and, I mean, you could just go on and on and on, you know, and you had guys from around the area like Dave Tradeup and Gary Schmidt, and there was just a lot of talent in this area, and Rochester was the hub of racing for many, many years in this area. I know being stuck at home, a lot of people have taken time to look over all of your historic photos that you're putting up on Facebook. And one that really brought back a memory for me was Doug Wolfgang at the Olmstead County Fairgrounds. And I had completely forgot about the Wissota Sprint Cars running there with Chuck Schumacher and Doug Wolfgang and yep. the Kuba <laughs> Brothers. Yeah, it was the second to last race that they had at Rochester. The show was kind of a fiasco, but the Wolfgang thing was a huge deal. I mean, he was obviously kind of in his prime then. So I don't remember whose car he was in, but they had him at the Crossroads Center signing autographs or across the street from the racetrack, and it was a pretty big deal, hyped-up deal. The race wasn't so good, but the track wasn't real cohesive to racing, both the sprint cars, but it sure created a lot of memories, and people still talk about it today, that's for sure. The first 10 or 15 Gopher 50s, were those races just like being a kid in a candy store for a photographer? Yeah, I mean, the first Gopher 50s, or people still talk about it, you know, when they went to Lansing and then moved to Oatana. I mean, you just, it was just one of those things. I mean, you were there. I mean, just the electricity was just immense there. I mean, you didn't know 
who was going to show up and some of the names. I mean, there's some huge names that raced at Owatonna. Well, Charlie Schwartz was there and Ronnie Johnson was there. Of course, Bloomquist was raced there, you know, and guys like John Gill and Ray Godsey and, you know, all the legendary, you know, national guys, plus all the great regional drivers at the Kosiskis and Oli Kraft and Eggersdorfs. I mean, and it was just an awesome mix of people, an awesome mix of fans. It was just a, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just special, especially to Watana. Lansing was cool, too. And the first couple that they had there was really neat because no, nobody had really done anything like that around here. And Jerry Engelson, the home run, I should say, with that show and really took off at Owatonna. I think the big thing for me at those first Gopher 50s were the evolution of the cars. Yeah, that too. I mean, he kind of went from the first couple being the stock, appearing the old Camaros and stuff and Mustangs and Novas and stuff like that. And then he kind of got into the wedge cars a little bit there for a few years and kind of back to the stock appearing cars in the late 80s. And yeah, it was a kind of, the, like you said, the transformation of the late models to what we have today for sure. But I miss the old days with the Camaros and the Novas and the Mustangs, but nothing we can do about that. But we have our pictures to look at too, or remember those days. Todd, thank you for everything you do, from writing articles, taking photographs, track announcing, and also posting all of this great stuff on Facebook that's making a lot of people smile. And thank you so much for being with us here on The Dirt Show. Well, it's my pleasure, Clayne. We appreciate everything you do for the sport, too. And just tell the race fans out there, take care, keep the faith, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Fire's Engine Service of Rochester opened its doors in 1975. Hi, this is Corey. Since 1975, we've been offering complete engine machining services and assembly. From flatheads to big blocks, wide blocks to drag race engines, and street rods to pulling tractors. Plus, Fires Engine Service offers complete dyno service. So if your race car or street car needs a little under the hood, trust the place who's been there since 1975. Contact Fires Engine Service at 507-282-5586. The difference between a Hinchman fire suit and others? The difference is safety. All Hinchman fire suits are made with materials that are permanently fire resistant. That's why Nomex remains the standard. The difference is experience and innovation. Hinchman started the racing suit industry over 80 years ago. The difference is quality, value, and customer service. Your suit is an investment in your safety. And Hinchman is committed to giving you the safest and best racing suit along with friendly personal service. Hinchman, why settle for anything less? Founded by Jesse Olson in 2004, Medieval Chassis was formed to fulfill a need for better engineered race cars. Medieval Chassis' new state-of-the-art facility has made it a leader in the stock car racing industry and two-time IMCA national champions. The use of a fiber tube laser, CNC tube bender, and flat laser allows Medieval Chassis to engineer and develop a chassis that exceeds all others in performance and adjustability. Find out more today at MedievalChassis.com. Have you ever been stuck? I mean, really stuck. This is Darcy from Pulver Towing. Over the years, we've been called to fields and job sites where they've spent days trying to free a piece of equipment from the muck. If you don't have time to wait, call Pulver Towing. Our towing experts will have you out in hours instead of days. With locations in Rochester, Worthington, Fulda, and Marshall, if you're stuck, call Pulver Towing today. Welcome back to a special segment here on The Dirt Show brought to you by Cookies, Barbecue Sauces and Seasonings, and Speed. Easter is rapidly approaching, and I know that you can use a lot of great cookies products for Easter. 
Well, I'll tell you what, Plain, there's cookies products for 365 days a year, but I'll tell you what, I've got a great Easter recipe that I always do. It's called double smoked ham. What I do is I start like a six to eight pound, depending on how many people you're going to feed, but I like to get those six to eight pound bone-in hams with natural juices, not uh, spiral slice because I think they get a little dry, but take one of those and put it in one of those throwaway foil pans and put about a cup of water in the bottom of it. Put it in your smoker and run your smoker around 250, 275. Plan on it cooking about four to five hours. You want to get that internal temp up to around 145, 150 right in there. Then dump the juice off of that and make sure you save it. Because I'll tell you what, that makes a great base for ham gravy. I'll tell you that ham gravy is to die for. Just use the juice out of the ham just like you would any other juice off of chicken or pork or beef, whatever, for making your gravy. And then glaze it. After you dump the juice off and you're making the gravy, then glaze the ham. And I've done them both ways. I've just used our Korean stir-fry barbecue sauce on it. Just glaze it with that. Mix that glaze with just about a cup of the Korean barbecue sauce, stir-fry sauce, with about a quarter of a cup of water just to thin it down a little bit. But then glaze the ham with that. Or another thing to glaze it with is I take a mixture of our Western-style barbecue sauce, Cookies Western-style, and then Cookies Original, and take about, oh, three-quarter of a cup of each of them, roughly, and then a quarter of a cup of pure maple syrup, and then about three tablespoons of Rose's lime juice, and mix that all together and then glaze a ham with that. So you can go either with the Korean or this other one. It makes a great glaze and really brings that ham to life. It's just to die for. You know, if any of the listeners out there don't have that, if they can't find it on our website, just shoot me an email. Tell me that you want the recipe for the ham. Just email it to speed, S-P-E-E-D, at cookies, C-O-O-K-I-E-S, and then the letter B, and the letter B, like boy, again, and then the letter Q for quick, dot com. Speed, if they'd like to find out more about all of your great products, what's the best way to do that? The old cookiesbbq.com. That'll turn the average cook into a renowned chef overnight. Just look at those great recipes. Why drive out of town to get what you need for your truck? Hey, this is Rich at Auto Trim Design of Oatana. We're an authorized weather tech dealer. From laser measured floor mats to mud flaps to vent visors, we can keep your truck or car clean and dirt free inside and out. We have over 30 years of experience in the truck accessory business. I invite you to stop by and see what we can do for you. We're located in Oatana at 3275 Old Highway 14, one mile west of Walmart. This is Brian Van Meveren, and you're listening to The Dirt Show. A car guy will never forget their first hot rod, Richard Petty's STP car, or Don Garland's Swamp Rat. If you race a car or own a car that means something to you, then CS Customs can capture those memories in a custom die cast. CS Customs are locally owned and work with you directly to get the details just right. If you're into cars, racing, or just looking for something unique for an event or your business, then you need to contact Chris Stangler at 612-965-0892 or see Chris Stangler. Check out Miskin.com. You'll see all the parts available in our you pull it lot, new arrivals ready to part out. Plus, we can also locate those hard-to-find parts for you. Miskin Auto Parts has been buying junkers and providing parts to our customers since 1972, and we ship out parts daily. Call us today at 507-684-2100 or check us out online at Miskin.com. 
Hi, this is Harvey West, and you've been listening to The Dirt Show. See you at the races.